Well, hey, everyone. Great to be with you as we get our new series started today. Uh, the song Aaron and Nia just sang for us certainly qualifies as an oldie but goodie. It was written by a folk singer named Pete Seeger back in the 1960s, made popular by a band called The Birds. But when I say it's an oldie, I'm not just talking about the fact that it's nearly 60 years old. I'm talking about the fact that it's nearly 3,000 years old. The words of the song come straight from the biblical book of Ecclesiastes and were likely written some 900 years before the time of Christ. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. And so it goes for many more verses, as we'll see in a few minutes. One of the many messages of the song, both the ancient and the modern version, is that change happens. It's inevitable. It's the way the world works. It's how the universe is wired. The weather changes, culture changes, our bodies change, relationships change. Ironically, change is one of the few constants in the human experience. Now, some of those changes are more noticeable and impactful than others. But every change affects us in one way or another and requires adjustment and learning and, well, change. I'm pretty sure we all sensed change in the air when we flipped our calendars from July to August this past week. July is like floating on a lazy river, the current barely perceptible. But August comes and we feel a tug as the water picks up speed. And in a distance, we hear the roar of the rapids we call September. The chances are the fall will bring some changes to your life. A new school or a new grade, at least. Maybe a new job or a new role at work. Maybe you've relocated this summer and find yourself in a new neighborhood or a new church. Maybe you're entering a new stage of life, launching your career, putting your last kid on the school bus. The empty nest, retirement. Maybe you lost someone this past year. They moved away or, or passed away. And life doesn't feel quite the same without them. I'm still getting used to the fact that I'm not running down to Pennsylvania to see my folks every few weeks or, or setting them up on the computer every Sunday morning so they could watch our service. We're facing a change here at Grace Chapel as I'll be stepping out of the senior pastor role about 10 months from now, and we'll be welcoming a new senior leader. After nearly a quarter of a century together, that'll be a big change for you and me. And so our teaching team thought it might be wise to spend the month of August looking at change from a biblical perspective. Why is change so constant and so difficult? How can we navigate change in a way that's good for our souls and good for the world around us? What does God expect from us in times of change? And what can we expect from God? Those are the questions we'd like to explore here in the month of August. Now, since it's wisdom we're after, we decided to turn to one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, an intriguing book we call Ecclesiastes, which means the teacher or the preacher. But since Ecclesiastes is so philosophical and change is so practical and personal, 
we decided that each week we would find some people in Scripture who experienced change and see what we can learn from them about facing change in our own lives and in our own church. So today we'll spend a little time in the book of Ecclesiastes, getting a basic understanding of change and its dynamics. But we'll also look at a significant change that took place in the story of God's people. Let's begin with a quick look at the opening verses of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? There now, don't you feel better? <laughs> Who is this teacher and why is he such a downer? Now, we don't know exactly who wrote this book, but scholars agree it's, it's based on the life and teaching of Solomon, who ruled over Israel after David. Solomon was given the gift of wisdom when he took the throne, and he ruled over Israel for some 40 years. Ironically, Solomon didn't exercise that wisdom when it came to his personal life, and he ended up pursuing happiness and meaning in all the wrong places, wealth, power, sex, fame, achievement. That phrase, under the sun, shows up again and again throughout the book. It's a way of referring to life without God. Life that consists only of what can be seen and experienced physically, materially. And the book of Ecclesiastes is best understood as Solomon's reflection on his long and unsatisfying search for meaning apart from God. Now, we'll come back and take a closer look at chapter 1 next week. But, but for now, let's jump ahead to chapter 3, in which Solomon reflects on the inevitability and apparent meaninglessness of change. Now, we won't read the whole thing, but enough to feel his angst. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. It's a brilliant piece of writing. No wonder we're still putting it to music 3,000 years later. In a handful of verses, Solomon captures the totality of human experience. Activity, planting and harvesting, gathering and scattering, emotion, weeping and laughter, mourning and dancing, relationship, embracing and distancing, loving and hating. It's all there. Not just the dualities, love and hate, birth and death, but all the nuances of the in-between times, too. And the one constant in all of it, the one thing we can count on in life, is change. Every season or circumstance inevitably gives way to another. But where does it lead? 
What's the point of all this movement from one activity or feeling or relationship to another? And I think of all the change that's happened in the world in the 3,000 years since these words were written. And yet our lives are still about these same things, aren't they? In the words of a more contemporary wise man, we might say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. No, I'm not talking about John Bon Jovi, who wrote a pretty good song with that title back in 2010. Our worship leaders would have had some fun with that one. Now, the saying's actually attributed to a French writer named Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr back in 1849. But both Johns are saying what Solomon said a long time ago. Change happens, but what's the point? And it's not just that change happens, it's that change is difficult, right? I mean, most people, most of the time, struggle with change. I found an article on LinkedIn entitled, Top 10 Reasons Change is Hard. It mentioned things like the fear of the unknown. What if we don't like the new school or the new job or the new pastor? It takes time and effort to change. I mean, usually it feels easier and faster just to keep on doing things the way we've always done them. There's the fear of failure. What if we're not good at the new thing? What if it turns out to be mistake? And what others will think? Will they like my new hairstyle? Will they think I'm crazy for changing careers or retiring now? And those were just the first four. I found another article that listed 22 reasons change is hard. That's just how it is with change. It always involves risk and uncertainty and even loss. As I was thinking about all this, I, I couldn't help but remember a change I went through some years ago. It, it might help illustrate what I'm after here. I spent my first 10 years as a pastor in a small, old-fashioned, one-room schoolhouse of a church just outside New York City. I had a tiny office right inside the front door. It was 10 feet by 10 feet, just big enough for a desk, a chair, and a couple of old-school filing cabinets. And I had this old, beat-up wooden desk that I think had been there since the 50s. But, but it had this writing shelf that you could pull out that made a perfect place to put my bagel and coffee at lunchtime. Well, long story short, after 10 years, we were finally able to build and move into a new building, three times the size, which meant I got a new office, also three times the size, and a brand new desk. And I vividly remember my first day in that new office. At lunchtime, I reached for that handy-dandy shelf, and it wasn't there. The new desk didn't have one. Well, where was I supposed to put my lunch? How was I going to work and eat like I'd always done before? All these wonderful changes we'd worked so hard for, but I missed my old desk. And that was just one of many things we would have to get used to as we moved into that new space. That's how it is with change. It's always tough, even when it's a good change. A writer named Marilyn Ferguson puts it this way. 
It's not just that we're afraid of change or so in love with the old ways, but it's that place in between that we fear. It's like being between trapezes. It's Linus when his blanket is in the dryer. There's nothing to hold on to. That image of the trapeze vividly captures the dynamics of change. At some point, the trapeze artist has to let go of the bar that he or she is holding onto and reach for the next bar that hasn't arrived yet. And for a moment, they're in midair, between the trapezes, with nothing to hold onto, until they can finally take hold of the next bar that hopefully is swinging their way. And we've actually designed this series around that metaphor of the trapeze artist and the three phases or movements of change. Letting go, reaching forward, and taking hold. And when you think about it, every change involves those three moves. You have to let go of something that's familiar, reach for whatever's coming next, even when you're not sure what it is, and then take hold of that new thing and let it swing you to a new place. And all three of those moves can be difficult. When I look back on that goofy experience with the new desk, I realize it, it wasn't just the handy-dandy shelf I was missing. It was the familiarity of my old life. This new office, this new building, this new chapter we were about to enter into was going to require new things of me. What kind of pastor would I need to be in this new space? I knew who I was in that old building. I knew how to lead a church of a couple hundred people in a one-room schoolhouse. But now we had 400 people and a staff and a big fancy office. What if I was no good at it? What if people didn't like it anymore or didn't like me anymore? Change is difficult because it involves more than a change of circumstance. It almost always involves a change in us. And changing people, especially ourselves, can be really hard. So for the next three Sundays, we're going to explore each of these three movements, letting go, reaching forward, and taking hold. But today, on this first Sunday in August, with September a month away and our leadership transition less than a year away, I'd like us to imagine ourselves as trapeze artists standing on a platform high above the circus floor, contemplating the changes to come personally and corporately. And to prepare ourselves for those changes, I'd like us to look at a change that took place hundreds of years before Solomon wrote those words. And interestingly, it was a leadership transition that took place when Moses passed the baton to Joshua. For 40 years, Moses had been leading the people of Israel. It was Moses who delivered them from Egypt and took them through the waters of the Red Sea. It was Moses who brought them the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai. 
Moses who shepherded them through the wilderness, bringing water from the rock and manna from the heavens. It was Moses who went to the tent of meeting on their behalf, interceding for them when Yahweh was about to give up on them. It was Moses who settled their disputes and put down rebellion. And it was Moses who brought them to the very threshold of the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. But God had made it clear that Moses was not going to be the leader to bring them into that new land. Let's pick up the story at the end of Moses' life, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of the land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. Now, before we get to the main point, a quick sidebar here on, on some of the troubling language we sometimes find in the Old Testament. Like this declaration that the Lord will destroy the nations before you, which sounds rather barbaric. It helps to know a couple of things. First, these were brutal, warmongering nations that had occupied the land of Canaan in Israel's absence. Secondly, it was, it was common in ancient literature to use grand and dramatic language like destroy them or kill them all to describe military and political conflict. It was an ancient form of, of saber-rattling and, and military boasting. The reality was usually far less dramatic and bloody. In fact, in later accounts, we're told that the Lord drove them out rather than that he destroyed them. The third thing to remember is that we have to interpret the Old Testament through the filter of the New Testament. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. So there's more we could say about all this, but I didn't want to just pass over that statement without offering a little bit of perspective. Uh, but now, back to the story. Here's Moses and Joshua and the people of Israel all standing on a metaphorical platform contemplating the change they're about to experience. For Moses, it will mean letting go of the leadership role and, and the people he's devoted 40 years of his life to. For Joshua, it'll mean taking hold of a new role as the leader of God's people, taking responsibility for settling them in a new and threatening land. For the people... It will mean both letting go of the leader they followed their whole lives and taking hold of a new and unproven leader in a new and unfamiliar land. And so for a time, it will mean being up in the air, between the trapezes, between the times. Like Linus when his blanket's in the dryer, they'll have nothing to hold on to. Ah, but they will, Moses reminds them. They'll have the Lord God himself to hold on to as they make this transition. Moses says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Moses challenges the people to face this change with courage and faith. Believing in the God who, who brought them out of Egypt and through the wilderness, who'll bring them through the Jordan and into the promised land. That the God who anointed and empowered Moses will anoint and empower Joshua. And he reminds them that their real leader isn't Moses or Joshua, but the Lord God himself. And they can hold on to him because he'll always be there. And as frightening and difficult as this transition would be for all of them, Moses and Joshua and the people embrace it. Listen to what happens in the closing verses of Deuteronomy, high atop Mount Nebo. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded. You see what happens? Moses lets go. He accepts the fact that he'll not be the one to lead them into the land. And he dies with peace and dignity. The people let go. They grieve and honor Moses as they lay him to rest. Joshua takes hold, takes hold of the wisdom that's been imparted to him and takes hold of his new role with strength. And the people take hold, trusting and following their new leader. So in the end, it's not just the circumstances that change, the people change, all of them. Moses finds peace, Joshua finds courage, and the people find faith to carry them into the promised land. It's a successful transition not only because the people involved have appropriately let go, reached forward, and taken hold, but because the Lord has been with them throughout it. So here's our takeaway from this first message in our series. When we embrace change with courage and faith, we discover God to be the same here, there, and everywhere in between. When we embrace change with courage and faith, we discover God to be the same here, there, and everywhere in between. It turns out that change isn't the only constant in the human experience. God is also constant. God is always there. God is always wise, always good, always strong. So when it feels like there's nothing to hold on to, when we're flying between the trapezes, we can hold on to God, to his character, which is unchanging, and his purposes, which are unfailing. In fact, with apologies to the two Johns, we might even say that the more things change, the more God stays the same. The more things change, the more opportunities we have to discover that God is still with us and that God is still good. And that's true whether you're changing jobs or changing schools or changing pastors. The God who brought you this far, the God who's guided and provided, the God who's helped and healed, will not only be waiting for you on the other side of the chain, change, but will be with you in between doing something good. 
So when you're living a with God life, every change comes with an opportunity to be changed, to learn, to grow closer to God and the people around us, to become the people and the church that God intends us to be. And that's what I discovered years ago when we moved into that new building. It was a big change for me and the congregation. And it took us a year or two to figure out who we were in that new space and to find our groove again. But we did. And the Lord grew me as a pastor, grew our congregation. We were able to do things in that space we'd never been able to do before and to reach people we'd never been able to reach before. And I didn't know it at the time, but the Lord was using those years to prepare me for an even bigger change when I would have to learn how to pastor a couple of thousand people in the unfamiliar land of greater Boston. And for 20-some years now, through lots and lots of changes, together we've discovered that God is faithful and God is good. It seems the more things change, the more God stays the same. And to come full circle, that's exactly what the preacher discovers as he ponders the changing times and seasons of life back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What do workers gain from all their toil? He asks after contemplating the vicissitudes of life. What's the point, he's asking? Where's the meaning? What's there to hold on to? But listen to how he answers his own question. I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Now, now that word burden could be understood as task or opportunity. As in, I have seen the opportunity God has laid on the human heart in all these changing times and seasons, the opportunity to experience them with God or without God. We have a choice. But, but God wants to do something with those times and seasons, something beautiful and meaningful and eternal. The, the preacher continues, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. God does it so that people will fear Him. Someone needs to set that to music. I mean, those, those words are like music to our souls in times of change. Reminding us that God is there in all the changing times and seasons. He wants to do something good with those changes, something good for us and good for the world around us. And most importantly, something that will draw us closer to Him. These words remind us that there's a rhyme and a reason to the changes that come our way. They provide us with an opportunity to let go, reach forward, and take hold of a God who can be trusted in all the seasons of life. And I'm confident that's what we're going to discover as we embrace the changes that will come our way 
in the days ahead, both personally and as a church. So as we finish up week one in our series, let me offer two ways to prepare ourselves for these changes as a community and as individuals. First, as a community of God's people, the staff and elders would like to invite you to join us in prayer as we begin this transition. If you go to the Senior Pastor Search landing page on our website, you'll find a prayer guide. It's designed to help us pray thoughtfully and intentionally throughout this season. And the focus for this first month is on preparing our hearts. You can use it to pray privately at home or, or in your groups. And later this month, each campus will be holding a prayer gathering so that together we can look to God for wisdom. Because as the preacher reminded us, this is one of the reasons God allows change to come into our lives, in order that we might fear Him, seek Him, find Him. And a primary way we do that is through prayer. My second invitation is more personal. I'd like to, you to imagine yourself standing on a platform high above the year to come. Imagine the calendar for the year laying on the floor in front of you. What changes are coming your way? What opportunities to grow or learn or change are swinging toward you? What familiar thing might you need to let go of? What unfamiliar thing might you need to take hold of? in order to experience the new and good thing God might want to do in your life and through you in the lives of others. You see, when we face change with courage and faith, we find a God who is here, there, and everywhere in between. So take a moment right now and identify a change or two that, that might be coming your way. Ask God to give you the courage and faith to embrace it. And then I'll close out our time together. Thank you, Lord, for the times and seasons of our lives and for your desire and ability to make all of them beautiful. Thank you for the wisdom we find in the scriptures. Thank you for the support of the community around us. Give us courage, Lord, and faith to embrace those changes. And thank you for being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.